And we'll pick up where we left off two Sundays ago. We are still in the midst of the farewell discourse where Jesus is engaging his disciples for the final time. This is the night on which he will be betrayed. He will be tried on the following morning and he will be executed later on in that day. This discourse begins in John 13:31, And if you remember, this is the inauguration of the Lord's Supper. Jesus has gathered his followers together for the final time to commemorate the Passover meal. And it is at this Passover meal that the Lord's Supper is instituted for his disciples and for us to follow. Jesus has washed the feet of the disciples as an act of humility and love, one that foreshadows his going to the cross to die for them. He has told them of his death and of his departure. He has told them that one of them would betray him and that Peter would deny him. Judas has eaten the morsel that Jesus has given to him. He has now left the upper room. He has gone out to meet with the chief priest to carry out his plan of betrayal. Jesus has told them that they would do greater things than he has done, not greater in power, but greater in extent. Jesus' ministry was confined to the area of Palestine, but his disciples would go into the remotest parts of the world into places that Jesus never would have set foot. He also told them that they could ask anything in his name, and he would give that to them. And to ask in his name means to ask in a way that represents what his name stands for, first and foremost, his holiness, his righteousness, his desire to serve and honor and please the Father. He now begins to tell them that he is going to send to them a helper. He is going to send to them the Holy Spirit. We looked at our last time together in this outline, his condition, the condition of the Spirit's coming. And this is connected to verse 12, where Jesus says, you are going to do greater things than I, and you can ask for anything in my name in verse 14. And this is connected by the coming of the Spirit. It is necessary for the Spirit to come in order for them to do greater things than He, and in order for them to ask anything in His name. And that's exactly what is true for us today. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives to do the things that God has called us and equipped us to be able to do. This doing greater things, this asking in His name, is connected to the Spirit's coming by this command to love and obey Him that we see in verse 15. Verse 15 is the first place in the discourse that Jesus introduces the idea of love and obedience being a normal expected response by His followers. It is expected that the Spirit is going to come to those who love and obey Him in a way that Jesus expects. He also talked about His coming. He says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper that He may be with you forever. We know the Helper. What that word is in the Greek is the word paraclete. And it's the idea of one that comes alongside of another to help them, to encourage them, to exhort them. The Spirit intercedes on our behalf. He encourages us. He stands as an advocate on our behalf before the Father. He is coming to help us to be able to do these greater things, to be able to ask for anything in Jesus' name, to ask for those things that are consistent with who He is and what He represents. He is coming to help us 
to love Jesus and to obey him as he has commanded us to do. Jesus tells us that this helper is going to come from the Father. He is another of the same kind, not another in addition to, but in Jesus' absence, the presence of the Father was going to be given to his disciples through the person of the Holy Spirit who would be with them and us forever. Again, this is why Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 28, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And what he meant by that is that my presence would be with you in the person of the Holy Spirit until the end of time. We learned a little bit about his character. He is called the Spirit of Truth. Just as Jesus declared in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus calls the Helper the Spirit of Truth, the one who is truth, who enables us to live out the truth, who surrounds us with the truth of God in His Word, who makes that real to us as we read and study and seek to apply. The world cannot receive the Spirit of Truth because the world does not know Him, but Jesus says, you know Him, you know the Holy Spirit. You will know Him because He will abide in you as you love and obey, as you seek to do greater things, as you ask for anything in my name. We learned, number four in our outline, about his company. Jesus said in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Now specifically, Jesus is talking about his post-resurrection experiences, or excuse me, his post-resurrection appearances. He would, over the course of 40 days, appear to the disciples for a very short period of time with a very specific purpose in mind. But he's also speaking about the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit who is going to be with us for all time. So in that day, verse 20, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. The day of Jesus' resurrection they would unmistakably believe that Jesus and the Father is one and everything that Jesus is saying to them is becoming to sound more and more true. And once the Helper comes, all of this will make sense in a way that it never would otherwise. Now we're going to pick up in John 14, verses 21, and we're going to go all the way through verse 31. So read along with me. Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. 
You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. So as we pick up on our outline, we join in looking at number five, and that is the condition repeated. The condition of the Spirit's coming is repeated. So the coming of the Spirit to us is not dependent upon our obeying Christ. He comes to us because of our union with Christ, and it is assumed that since He is coming to us, that we will love and obey Christ as He is commanding His disciples to do so. Our obedience to Christ will have a direct impact on what the Spirit can and cannot do in and through us. If you and I desire to do greater things than Jesus did, if you and I would like to be able to ask for anything in Jesus' name and know that He is going to give it to us, then you and I better be loving and obeying the Lord in the way that He has instructed instructed us to. Because if we are not, I don't believe the Holy Spirit is going to be empowering us to do greater things or will we, we will be asking the things that are consistent with Jesus' name. We will get sidetracked through that. So Jesus repeats. Verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Verse 21a, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Now, do you think it's a coincidence that Jesus has repeated the exact same thing within the same setting, in our reading, just six verses prior, Jesus has repeated, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. Now, the verbs here, to have and to keep, mean something more than just knowing a list. It's more than just having an intellectual assent. It's more than just punching your spiritual duty checklist. To have and to keep means to fully grasp. To fully grasp means that we have embraced His commands so completely that they are integrated into our lives and obeying His commands is what gives direction to our lives. As Ken was reading in Psalm 119, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my eyes. Why is it important to have our eyes and our feet illuminated when we walk? Because if we don't have that illumination, the likelihood is we're going to move outside of the will of God. We will not be following Him. We will not be obeying Him. But if we have embraced the Word of the Lord in our lives then the light that illuminates our path will not be an ongoing struggle for us, but the natural way that we desire to go. Lord, I want to love you. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. God's Word illuminates how we do that. 
And so we follow the path of that illumination. We don't struggle and say, but yeah, I really don't want to do that. I want to go over here where it's really, really fun. I want to go to the parties. I want to live for myself. I want to live a life that's self-directed. If we love God and if His commands are integrated into our life so that it is directing our life, when His Word illuminates our path, it won't be a struggle for us. I think most Christians fail in this respect. Well, you know, I got up and I read your Word today and I said a few prayers and I went to church and I gave some money. I've done everything that I think I should do. Isn't that enough? God, you should be satisfied with what I am giving because I have determined by my own standard that it is enough. But you see, it's not enough. When we look at who Jesus is and when we give consideration to what Jesus has done, let me ask you, what is enough? Well, there's never enough, right? There should never be the sense in our heart that we have done all we are required to do. I'm satisfied, so God, I expect you to be satisfied as well. To have the commands of God integrated into our lives so completely means that it is our joy to follow when He illuminates the direction that we should go. It means that we want to live for Him. It means that we want to live to Him. It means that we want to live our lives in such a way that it brings honor to Him and it pleasures the Father, not ourselves. The one who loves Jesus this way is the one whom Jesus truly loves. Now, let me say this. None of us do this perfectly. Not a one. Don't get into the pattern of beating yourself up or allowing the enemy to come in and take away the joy of your salvation or to pop the bubble of whatever spiritual growth you see in your life. But what you and I have to do is we have to be willing to say no to the things that God reveals to us that interfere with our doing greater things. We have to willingly lay down those things that we ask for that are not consistent with who He is and do so with gladness of heart knowing that He loves us and knows what's best for us. Do we believe, do we trust that God is really and completely capable of providing for us the best life we can know? There's a lot of preacher out there who want to tell you that your best life is found and God catering to your every whim, giving you all that you desire, making you rich and powerful and famous. And I'm going to tell you, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. God's desire is that you and I be conformed to the image of Christ. And if He lived a life devoted to the Father, sacrificing Himself, should we not expect to do the same thing? Well, we could go on. I'm going to digress here. So what he says here is to have his commands, to keep his commands, means that we fully grasp them. And when we do that, he will love us. Verse 21b, And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself 
to him. Now, be very, very careful. This does not mean that we earned the love of the Father because we obey. If that is the conclusion that we come to, then what that means is that you and I are saved by virtue of what we do and not by the grace of God. What, the, what this implies is that the Father is going to love those who truly love the Son, and those that truly love the Son prove that by obeying Him, by serving Him, by desiring to do greater things than He did, making a difference in our world, by choosing to ask for the things that are consistent with the person of Christ and not those things that make our worldly life a little bit funner. That doesn't mean that God isn't concerned about our daily needs. That doesn't mean it's wrong to have a nice house or to have a new car. It doesn't mean those things are wrong. They're not bad, but they don't dictate the direction of our life. We don't work an 80-hour week so we can have the best house that that the world knows. We don't die to ourselves in order to make a lot of money or to have a lot of influence in, in a worldly sense. We die to ourselves. We do the things that we do to bring honor and glory to the name which is above every name. Just as Jesus' relationship to the Father is marked by love and obedience, so is the relationship of the disciple to the Son. Think back in the Gospel of John, all the times Jesus has said, I speak not of my own words, but of the Father. I do not as I desire, but as the Father has directed me. Over and over and over, Jesus repeated that. This is what my life is about. My life is about loving the Father, obeying the Father, saying and doing what the Father has instructed me to do, and that's the exact same expectation for the disciple is to love the Son the same way. This is what Jesus is really talking about. Not earning love, not deserving God's grace, but living our lives in such a way that it is implied that it will look like Jesus' life looked as He lived to the Father. So the way that Jesus served and obeyed the Father is the model for us and our service and obedience to Him. And as the Father loves the Son so he will love the one who loves the Son. Again, we love him imperfectly. We love him incompletely. That doesn't mean we finally get to a certain line in our journey with the Lord, and now all of a sudden the Father loves us. It doesn't work that way. The Father loves us as soon as we come to Christ. But it is our desire to know the Father's love in such a way that we see His hand in all that we do. We know that we're doing all we can to walk according to His commands. They're so deeply integrated into our lives that there isn't this great discrepancy between what we say and what we actually do. Well, the result of this is He will disclose Himself to us. This is a promise that Jesus makes to his disciples to reveal himself to them and to us. Now to them, he's going to appear over, those, over that period of 40 days. And in the context of the entirety of this passage, 
Jesus is going to appear to them and to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's not going to show up in bodily form. He's going to show up in the person of the Spirit, the Helper, who will come alongside us, will reveal Jesus to us. Now, you and I go through very difficult, sometimes very terrible trials and circumstances in our lives. Some of us go through very severe crises in our lives. Our lives come up against such a seemingly insurmountable wall that we go, "Uh uh-oh, what am I going to do? It is in these times that the presence of the Spirit should be overwhelmingly real because we cry out to Him. We cling to Him. We yield to Him. Well, it is in these times and in all times that the Spirit is going to reveal the Son and the Father to us in His presence in our lives. God knows, He loves, He cares, and He moves to meet the needs of His children, of those who truly love the Son. Sometimes He chooses not to change the circumstances, but only reinforce the central truth that you and I have to learn to cling to, and that's this. I am here. Yeah, but God, I am here. But God, I don't like this. I am here. God, I need this to change. I want this to go away. I am here. You see, the presence of Christ, our union with Christ, affirmed in our lives by the presence of the Holy Spirit, is what should sustain us through the difficulties that we face. Let me be honest with you. I don't like those times any more than you do. I loathe those times. But it is in those times that the presence of the Son becomes more and more real because we are looking intently. And so Jesus says that I am going to disclose myself to you. Let me ask you this question. If we live our lives in such a way that, is, that it is self-driven and self-directed, and we come up against one of those unwanted circumstances in life, how clearly, how closely, how deeply will we experience the presence of the Lord? You see, when we've wandered away and we've lived our own life, and we come up against one of these things, and we turn to the Lord, you know, a lot of times there's some chastening, there's some discipline that has to be given out, there are some difficult lessons that have to be learned, and it is through that process of confession and repentance and commitment that the presence of God becomes more real to us. But if we are walking with the Lord in such a way that His commands drive the direction of our life and we come up against it, you know what we're going to say? God, I'm so thankful You're here. Not God, where are You? Not God, why is this happening? Not God, what's the deal? God, I am so thankful that You're here. We'll never even wonder about it. It won't even be a question for us. 
That's why it's so important that we learn to truly love Him so that when we desperately, desperately need His presence, we don't have to go running long distance of repentance and self-denial in order to find Him. He's always there, but our sin becomes a barrier. And when that sin isn't a barrier, we can say, God, I'm so glad you're here. I know you're here. I've never doubted it for a moment. Well, there's some confusion within the group as Jesus is saying these things. And so this confusion is verbalized for us in verse 22. Judas, and John is very careful to say, not Iscariot, because after all, Judas has already left, and Judas would not have had any concern about this. Judas said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? You see, Judas and the disciples still had a very physical mindset as they thought about Jesus inaugurating his earthly rule. They still didn't understand that Jesus is talking about a spiritual kingdom that he's talking about a spiritual process, that he's talking about a spiritual reign. And so they're thinking about this earthly kingdom and not the spiritual kingdom. And so the question is, how can you set up your earthly kingdom? How can you reign on the throne of Jerusalem and not disclose yourself to the world, but only to us? Well, it seems like a legitimate question in the now, but for us, looking, about it, looking back at it in hindsight, we understand what Jesus is really talking about. And so Jesus picks this up in verse 33, and he doesn't explain in any detail what Judas has just asked him. Look what Jesus says in the face of this question. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and make our abode with him. He didn't directly address Judas's question. What did he do? For the third time in this brief section of the farewell discourse, Jesus has emphasized the importance of love and obedience to what it is that he said. If you love me and you grasp to my word in such a way that it is directing your life that my Father will love you and we will come to you and we will make our abode with you. I don't know that Jesus has ever said that in the Gospel. I'd have to go back and review. But I think this is the first time Jesus has said something about the Father abiding with them. So in verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In verse 21, he indicates that love and obedience is connected to him disclosing himself to us. And here he says that love and obedience to the Father results in the Father abiding with us. The Son and the Father will love those who love the Son. The Son and the Father will come to those that love the Son and they will make their abode with those that love the Son. Now this is important. That word abode means a dwelling place. Well, Jesus said in verse 2, in the earlier part of this discourse, that I am going to go, 
There are many dwelling places or abodes in the Father's house, and I am going to prepare a place for you. And so as the disciples would have understood what that meant, oh, Jesus is going to go to the Father's house, and it's a big house, and he's going to create or prepare a room for us, not necessarily a mansion, but a room for us, an add-on to the Father's house. Since we are his children, we're going to come and live in his house, and we are going to abide in the Father's house. That's what Jesus is going off to prepare for us. Here, Jesus says, the Father is going to come and make his dwelling place in you. That is a radical idea. That is unbelievable to the Jewish mind. The Jew has always understood that the abode or the dwelling place of God was in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies only on the one day of the year and only for a very, very short period of time. They had an understanding that the Spirit of God is kind of out there. And here what Jesus is saying is the Spirit is going to come and He is going to come to you and He and I and the Father are going to make our home in you. Think about it like this. Think about the most high-profile individual that comes to your mind. A politician, a celebrity, an athlete, whatever that person might be. Let's say that they're going to invite you to their home. That'd be a big deal, right? Be a huge deal. But what if they said, hey, I want to come and I want to live with you. And I am going to prepare a place for you in my house. And I'm going to be with you forever. Would that not be an unbelievable thing? Well, this isn't a person. This is the God of the universe, the creator of all that we know, and His one and only Son affirming that those who love the Son, He and the Father will come and make their dwelling place in you. An unbelievable truth. I don't know that our minds can fully grasp what that means. Oh yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's amazing. It ought to make us fall to the floor on our faces and cry out in thanksgiving with humility, weeping before the Lord, praising Him for this great thing that He has done for us. Well, Jesus restates the same truth here in the negative in verse 24 as He's talking about the connection between love and obedience. He who does not love Me does not keep My words, and the, words, the word which you hear is not Mine, but the Father's who sent Me. So Jesus is not going to disclose Himself to those who do not obey Him. Because those who do not obey Him do not love Him, and those that do not love Him do not love the Father, and the Father does not love them. That means 
that there is a dividing line between knowing the Father and not knowing the Father. And knowing the Father is divided by what we do with Jesus Christ. It isn't the pursuit of religion. It's not the pursuit of the highest level of morality. It's not the pursuit of immeasurably good deeds. It is not the pursuit of unending religious duty or service. It is a relationship with the Father through the Son. And if you don't obey, if you don't love the Son, then He will not disclose Himself to you. He will not come to you. And He will not make His home in you. It can't be any clearer than that. So Jesus has dispelled Judas's confusion, although I'm sure they still don't really understand all that that means. Jesus is only going to disclose himself to those that love him, and those that love him prove that by living a life of obedience to him. Now the next part of our outline is the commission of the Holy Spirit. We see the commission in verses 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your your remembrance all that I said to you. So what, what what Jesus has just said and what He has been saying all along, He has said while He was with them. He's about to no longer be with them. He is, in just a few hours, going to be gone, only to return physically for a very short period of time. But... He is about to send to them one who is going to be with them, one who is going to teach them. He is the Spirit of truth, and He is going to teach them, first and foremost, all things. Now, these disciples had lived with Him and walked with Him and seen all that He had done. They knew a lot about the Old Testament, but Jesus was going to teach them all things. Now remember, he's not only preparing them for his departure, but he is preparing them for the apostolic ministry that they have been called to. They are going to need the Holy Spirit to teach them because what they are going to teach is going to be recorded in our Bible and it is going to be called the inerrant, infallible, eternal Word of God. They would reveal truth that the world has never heard before the the revelation given to them by the Holy Spirit. The many, many, many things that Jesus has taught that they didn't understand, the Holy Spirit is going to teach them the words and the truth about the life of Christ. The truth and the life about who He is and about loving and serving the Father. It is the Word and how do we live in right relationship to it. It is the theory and the practice of New Testament grace-filled living. It is the principles and the conduct of a life lived for the Lord. It is morality and behavior consummated in the person of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is going to come and He is going to teach them all things. In addition to this, He's going to bring to the remembrance all things. Think about this. 
If you have been here from the beginning of my ministry, I've been here just a little over three years, which means I've preached somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 messages. Do you remember any of what I have said? Well, maybe a bit here, maybe a piece there. There might have been a phrase I read or a quote that just kind of stuck in your brain. Well, think about this. These guys walked with Jesus for three and a half years, and they heard virtually everything he taught, a lot of which isn't recorded for us in the Bible. And the Holy Spirit is going to bring all of that back to their mind. Now, I could come over here and I could whisper something in the ear of uh, Gwen, and I could say, Bob went down to the ocean and caught a dozen fish. And she could repeat it silently and go all the way around the room. And we could get over here. And Bob went down to the watering hole and he got eaten by a shark. And some guy named Joe came in a speedboat and rescued him. Well, that's not at all what I said, but that's how it ends up. Well, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit... The person of Christ who embodies the Trinity is going to come alongside them and is going to teach them all things and bring to their remembrance everything that Jesus has said. You know why they could recite word for word the Sermon on the Mount? Because the Holy Spirit gave it back to them just as Jesus spoke it. Ah, oh, that sounds like a fairy tale. Well, I'll tell you, that sounds like the work of God who is beyond our finite minds, capable to preserve His Word for us for all time. You know, the battle that's being waged even today in the church over the accuracy of the Word of God is an absolute insult to the person and the power of God and His desire to instruct us in the way that we should live. Jesus is saying that they would be given divine inspiration through the Holy Spirit. We would read in 2 Peter 1, 19-21, so we have the prophetic word made more sure, we the apostles have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. I believe with all my heart when Peter penned those words, he knew precisely that the Spirit of God had inspired him to pen the eternal Word of God. We read in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Let me pause right there. That's why people today want to tear certain things out of the Bible because they don't like correction. They don't like reproving. They don't like training. I kind of want to put God in my pocket and live this thing called Christianity out in such a way that I feel good about myself but I don't want to get too over the line. I don't want to become too much of a crazy Jesus freak. I want to know that I got my ticket punched. Verse 17, So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So through their apostolic ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit, 
Just as Jesus taught the words of the Father, they would teach the words of the Son. They would not be revealers of new truth, but they would reveal the meaning of the truth that Jesus spoke. So for us today... There isn't a new revelation in God's Word. There might be new application. There might be a new understanding. But the revelation is completed. And what the Holy Spirit does is He makes alive in our spirit the truth of God's Word in such a way that we go, Aha, I didn't understand that before. And now I know how to do or I know what I shouldn't do because of what God's Word says. So he does not reveal to us new truth, but he does reveal to us this eternal truth so that our lives can be transformed and conformed into the image of Christ. Very, very quickly, the conclusion here. Number six, excuse me, number seven in our outline, the conclusion of this. I really debated on where to stop, and and I probably should have stopped here. Um, Let me do that. I'm going to stop here. And I'm going to pick up on the conclusion because I had to really cut a lot out of that to get in what I thought would be a reasonable amount of time, but we're already there. So we're going to stop here, and we're going to pick up in, um, in verse 27 next week because I want to elaborate a little bit. Let me, let me read these uh, remaining verses just for a conclusion to the passage because this isn't a natural division for the passage. So Jesus says, after all these things, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, if I go, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens... You may believe. I will, not be, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from this place. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that you have an infinite love for such sinful people. Father, we know that theoretically we can love you in a way that reflects with great accuracy who you are, but practically, boy, that's such a challenge. So I not only pray that you would enable us through the work of your Spirit to love you more, but also through the encouragement of your spirit that you would help us to accept our limitations, to not be satisfied with them, but to accept that we are imperfect, that we are in need of your grace and your mercy, that we would desire to be empowered even greater to do all that you have called us to do. Father, as you have forgiven us, would you help us to forgive ourselves as we fail in living out this Christian life in a way that we should. God, how we give you thanks for the gift of the Holy Spirit who has come to indwell us, who seals us, who seals us in our union with you, who continually works on your behalf to make us who 
you have designed us to be. Help us to be cooperative with that work. Help us to desire each day to see growth in our being conformed to your image. Help us to desire to love and obey the Son just as the Son loved and obeyed the Father. We give you thanks and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Before we sing, I want to say this. Before you were ever saved, God knew exactly the life you would live and saved us anyway. Isn't that amazing? He knew every failure. He knew every fault. He knew every speck of rebellion in our heart. And He saved us anyway. Let's stand and let's worship Him.